If you've got your Bibles, I want you to grab it and go to the book of James, chapter 5. James chapter 5. Park your Bibles right there. This came out of eight days of meetings with Evangelist Matthias, and it was an empowering week. I, I, I was just so grateful to be at every single session, and God was just moving upon me. And I believe that God has something incredible for each person, and God did something incredible for our church over these last several days. And so today, you know, I wanted to just continue off in a thought that Matthias had with us as he uh, left you guys kind of dangling on a cliffhanger. He gave you uh, seven doors that prayer opens and uh, only shared three of them. So y'all missing a few, aren't you? So we're going to go into this a little bit today and uh, we'll see where the Lord leads us. But if you're in James, say amen. Chapter 5, verse 16, the later half of this verse says, The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power. Somebody say power. And produces wonderful what? Results. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power. And produces wonderful results. Father, I pray that you would help us to understand this as we move into your word and unpack, Lord God, where we are able to influence, cause results, accomplish and avail much through this office that you've given us this discipline that you've provided to us called prayer in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Every day, all of us walk through lots of doors. You probably don't even pay attention to it. Many of you guys you live in pretty much a modern home like you, you know, we have here in the States. You guys didn't just walk through one door to get here, but you probably walked through at least eight doors to be in this very building, all right? At the very bare minimum, when you woke up, you got out of bed, and you walked out of your bedroom door. And probably somewhere you entered into your bathroom so that you could get ready, right? So you went through that door. And uh, once you were all done, whether you trans, you know, you went around your, your house in, in several other rooms, getting ready, getting the kids, getting your stuff, whether you keep, you know, your clothes in one space and then your shoes somewhere else or whatever it may be, you've walked through several doors and you left your house by your front door, side door, garage door, wherever. You came to your car. You had to once again traverse a door to get in and drive here. You stepped on out of your car and before you took your seat in this sanctuary, there's at least four doors because I know this building that you probably walked into, walked through, and sat down. We walked through several different doors all day long. So someone say doors. Some of you are probably right now trying to do the math, figuring out how many doors you actually walked through. And I don't want to lose you, so uh, say doors. We need doors to get into places, don't we? Doors are, are, are available to us as means of access. Uh, without a door, then a person is stuck in that space. If you were in a you know, four-walled building, a four-walled room, then there is no doors. You're confined within. You can't come out. You might want to jump a window, but you could call that somewhat of a door. It might give you access into another space. If we don't have doors, we're locked in. We're confined. We're tied down. We're stagnant. How many of us in life, desire to sign up for stagnation. I know I don't. I want to be progressing. I want to be growing. I want to move from one space to the other space. I want to go from one reality to the next reality. I want to step into what God has for me. And so we all desire growth and progress in every area of our lives. But without open doors, a person is going to be confined to that same space, same reality, same level of experience. 
So open doors are critical because they provide us access to something greater. They provide us access to blessings, to places, to peoples, to opportunities. And today I want us to look at the scriptures and really understand that if the prayers of a righteous person avail much, what is it that they avail? What is it that praying will actually produce in terms of results? Because if we do press in, if we linger in prayer, if we continue in that office and attitude and discipline, then we will accomplish much. We experience much. And I believe that that's the life that God has called for each and every one of his children. Somebody say amen. He wants his church to go from glory to glory. Amen? The prayers of a righteous person avail much. In fact, the prayers of a righteous person opens many doors. Say doors. This last week, as Matthias was preaching, I hope you got an understanding that prayer is something that we should covet and esteem very highly. That there is no amount of effort wasted by the enemy. He is intentional by every ounce of his endeavors to hinder our prayers because of this reality. Prayers avail much. He does everything within his power to keep us quiet and bound in silence kept within the confines of a room without a door that we will not experience and step into the realities that God has in store for us. Prayers avail much, therefore the enemy also tries to avail much in hindering our prayers because he gets a whole lot of stagnation to be created, a whole lot of nothing to be birthed, a whole lot of powerlessness to be our portion. And so it is critical that we understand this. Like I told you before, there are many agonizers, organizers, but few agonizers, many players and payers, but few prayers, many singers, but few clingers, lots of pastors, but few wrestlers, many fears, but few tears, much fashion and little passion, many interferers, but few intercessors, many writers, but few fighters. And if we look at the scriptures, we find that the men of old who were the fighters, who were the clingers, who were the passion men and women who pressed into God received much power awake. Leonard Ravenhill said, no man is greater than his prayer life. Let me say that again. No man is greater than his prayer life. The pastor who is not praying is playing. The people who are not praying are straying. I'm all right. I'm all right, pastor. I'm doing okay. I'm just, you know what? I just haven't had enough time, but I'm good. I'm good with Jesus. I'm you know, maintaining the line. No, you're not. The person who is not praying is straying farther and farther away. See, Abraham, he pitched his tent everywhere he goes. Everywhere he went, he pitched his tent and he prayed to God. He made an altar and he worshipped his father. It was a place where he would declare to himself, Here I have come to die and you have come to reign and live. I am here to worship you and pray to you and give you the glory that is due your name. Everywhere Abraham went, he pitched his tent and he built an altar. It was not the same with Lot though. Lot, first he came, he got closer to the cities. Little by little, he got closer to the city. And when he saw it within sight, then he went a little closer and he came to the city gate. And pretty soon he was inside the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. And he's a man that is now not pitching his tent, not glorifying God, not praising the Lord, not praying to God, not saying, here I have come to build an altar and die and say, Lord, it is about you and not about me. He was straying. While he was with Abraham, and Abraham is doing all that he was doing, he was observing and noticing that Abraham was pitching his tent and building an altar. Lot, on the other hand, was just kind of riding on the coattails of his uncle. 
And when they separated, he did not pitch a tent and built an altar. But I'm okay. I'm, I'm just maintaining, Pastor. I'm maintaining. I'm not praying, but it's okay. Me and Jesus, we're tight. The person who is not praying is strained because a man is not greater than his prayer life. So last week we were talking about how when we press into this office of prayer and we're seeking God, we're going to avail much. The first thing that God provides for us as an open door, the first door that we get to as we pray is the heavenly door. And so let me just review with you these first three and then we'll go into new territory. The heavenly door, if you go to Luke chapter 3, go there so you can see this. Luke chapter 3 verse 21. This is the time when Jesus is to be baptized. Everyone is being baptized by John the Baptist. And John shows up on the scene. It's the beginning of his ministry. He shows up and, and John the Baptizer is there preaching a gospel of repentance. Telling people they need to be baptized in repentance. Turn from their wicked ways and come unto God. And it tells us in Luke chapter 3 verse 21. When all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. And while he prayed, what happened? The heaven was opened. As he prayed, the heavens were opened. And we know from the Gospels that as he prayed, the, gospel, the heavens are opened and a voice comes from heaven. And they know that when the heavens open up and roar, that that is God speaking to them. And God says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. The heavens were opened as he prayed. Acts chapter 10, verse 2 and 3. Is the story of Cornelius. And it tells us this, this was a man who was devout and he prayed and he feared God. He feared God with all of his household. He gave alms generously to the people and he prayed to God always. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. He gives him a vision, says there's a man in the city of Joppa that I'm going to send to you. Listen to all that he has to say. In fact, the Holy Spirit was going to activate Peter to go over there to the, the, the city of Cornelius to preach to him and his entire household. But what was Cornelius doing? He was praying, always praying, and he gets an angel to visit him in a vision. And tell him some important words. Revelation. Divine aid comes when we pray. Acts chapter 10. You go to the other side of the story. While Peter is in Joppa. And he's there in the hour praying. He's on the roof of the house. He's praying again and again continuously. It's the hour of lunch. People are going downstairs. They're making food. He is praying and praying and praying. And it tells us in verse 10 and 11. Then he became very hungry. And he wanted to eat. But while they were making ready. He fell into a trance. And he saw heaven opened. The object like a great sheep bound at all four corners, descending to him and let down to the earth. And that was the vision that God gave Peter to say, hey, I'm making room for the Gentiles to come in. It's not just about preaching to the Jews, but preaching to the Gentiles. I want everybody to hear the good news. Peter, I'm sending this to you. Why? Because you are praying. And so is Cornelius. The man who represents the sheet that I'm about to send you to, he's praying. You're praying. Visions are coming down. The heavens are opened. Are you following? This is all review. The importance of prayer is seen by the heavenly door. See, when Daniel prayed, the heavens were opened and the angels were released and sent down to Bring him his answer. It took a little while to get here because there was war in the heavenlies. But there was a door that was opened in heaven when Daniel prayed. And you can look on and on and on as the scriptures will reaffirm this again and again. As we pray, we open up the spirit world and God presses in. He sends his divine assistance. He sends us his angels. He sends us his power. He sends us his word. He sends us his confirmation. God releases divine aid when his people pray. We need that. 
How are we to do the task of the hour and what we need to accomplish today? By our own power. The word tells us it's not by strength or not by power, not by might, but it's by his spirit. God sends us divine aid and help when we pray, when we press in. So somebody say the heavenly door. The second door that God opens up, go to Genesis chapter 19. That is the door of the city. The Bible tells us that as we pray, as we linger in prayer, as Peter was lingering, man, I'm just grateful that Peter didn't stop when he smelled that nice aroma of food coming up from the bottom in that kitchen. As he stayed up on that roof and he prayed, he lingered in prayer till divine aid came and showed up and ministered to him. As we pray, as we seek God, as we get divine aid to come on down and we persevere in prayer. It tells us in Genesis chapter 19, verse 1, Now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. Where was he sitting? The gate. The gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face towards the ground. The gate represents a door. Cities had gates. The judges would sit at the gates. The men of old would sit there and do business and judge wisely at the city gate. That was the place of authority. That was the place that that, that city executed certain realities and jurisdictions. If you look in the Psalms, Psalms 82, the Bible tells us that God is in his divine counsel. He is speaking to the divine beings. He's speaking to his heavenly family. And that he's talking to them about how they have ruled and reigned or failed to rule and reign. And he is reaming on them because they have failed to live righteously and to teach justice. He speaks to how he has given authority to his heavenly beings. If you go back into the book of Genesis, it makes sense now that Lot is sitting at the city gate. Why? Because God has allotted in the spirit realm there to be a protocol and a structure. That's why when Daniel was praying and he was asking God for deliverance in that lion's den, that the prayers were released when the heavenly door was opened, but yet it took a while to get there. Why? Because the prince of Persia was fighting against them. This is all old territory, guys. We've talked about this since our 21 days of prayer and fasting, that there are spirit powers in regions, that there is a spirit over this region and over every city and every nation and every continent, and there is powers and principalities that rule and reign, and God has called us to pray for our cities, called us to pray for the well-being of the city as Jeremiah and the prophets tell us to pray for the well-being of the city. Why? Because there is powers and principalities that reign. There are spiritual protocols. So as we pray, God moves on a city. Lot was sitting at the city gate. Why? Because that was the place of authority. The angels came there first and foremost because they came to the place of authority. God is waiting for his church to activate their power in prayer because they are to release his power and his dominion over the region in which we live. God has called us. The heavens are the Lord's and the earth is given to mankind. God is waiting for us to allow him to come in and press in in dominion and say, Lord, you have jurisdiction to move in this place because I have already labored in prayer over the region. I have already, Lord, God moved in prayer. I've, you know, I remember reading a book, um, God Chasers, and Thomas Tenney is the author, and he, he talks about a story when he was pressing in, and he just wanted a hunger from God, and, and he and his brother-in-law, I believe, were both in ministry, and they were talking about how they went into the church one day, and they had been seeking God in fervency, and so one person was visiting the other, I forget which one it is, but they stepped into the church. The minute they crossed the threshold, the door of the church, they were met with the power of God. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they were under a heavy anointing because they had stepped in to what God was doing in authority in that region. And people in that town, as they drove by the church, they were being filled with the Spirit. They were being compelled to go into the church. There was an understanding that there was something pulling them and leading them to the place that they called the church to worship and praise God. 
Why? Because there was prayer that was happening in that place. And they were praying for the city and the powers that be, that the spirit of the city would be under the subjection and rule and dominion of God, that God would release his authority over that region, that men and women would be hungry and compelled to come into the house of the Lord. There is a spiritual atmosphere and temperature in the city. And we have to be able to pray and ask God to go and move on people's hearts that they may be receptive. I believe that there is a mighty work of God that needs to happen in this region. And we need to pray for the well-being of the city that scales would come off of aisles. And that hearts would be open. That people would not want to go to the bars or go to the places of, of leisure and pleasure. But they would flock to the altars of the churches within our city. Amen. 2 Corinthians 2, 11 and 12, lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, a door was opened to me by the Lord. As we pray for heavenly aid, God sends his angels. The angels go out and they work on the hearts of men and women in the city. God subdues the powers of the region, and the church is able to be effective in fervent prayer and realize what God wants us to do in this region in this time. Let's move on. The doors of salvation and faith. Revelations 3, verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and him with me. Acts 14, 27, now when they had come and gathered the church together, they reported all that God had done with them and that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. See, there's a door that needs to be opened. Some of us were praying, we're asking God, God, I want you to move upon my, my brother. Lord, I ask you that you would send out your spirit to move upon my brother. And Lord God, that you would just touch him and release him. And I'm preaching to him and I'm speaking the word of gospel and nothing is happening. We need to pray that God would open up the door of salvation because it's through his Holy Spirit that he softens our hearts to begin with. None of us come into this thing fully on our own. We don't do this faith walk by ourselves. We require God to open the door of salvation within our hearts. There is a door that needs to be opened. Acts 16, 14. Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Tyatira and who worshipped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. In the same way, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. That he would be a sign. That his life would be a testimony to the powers of God. There is a door of salvation that needs to be opened. And so instead of us just hitting our heads against the wall again and again, and we're just saying everything, but we have not taken the time to be earnest in prayer on our knees for our loved ones, our, our co-workers, our neighbors, the person across the aisle, the person in front of the counter that is serving us. If we have not labored in prayer, how are we to see them moved with the gospel? Yes, we need to preach. Yes, we need to teach. Yes, we need to come and present them with a the track. Sure, we need to let our lives and our testimonies be an example. But we need to go and pray and do in secret so that God in public will be able to honor what we have done there. There is a door of salvation. So we're caught up. Those were the three that you received. Now say with me. The door of the word. I want you to take your Bibles and go to Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4, verse 3. Once you're there, say amen. Father, I pray that you would help us, Lord, to understand these doors and press into them, Lord, that we may see a mighty availing in your kingdom in this hour in Jesus' name. Colossians chapter 4, verse 3. Are you there? Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word. For what? The word. To speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in chains. The door of the word. We need to press in and pray earnestly seeking God's face agonizing in the prayer closet, 
that there would be an open door for the Word of God. The Word of God, which is what shall, through the Holy Spirit, lead us into all truths. The words that He has penned. The manifest, God-breathed words of God. The inspired, infallible words of Jesus. Of the Father. That is the door that we need open. Notice how Paul requested that they would pray for an open door for the gospel of Jesus Christ. The apostle does not assemble the people to pray and seek something for his own pleasant you know, life. Not, not something for his own pleasures and personal gain. Paul is asking them, true to form, pray that there would be an open door for the word of the gospel. That there would be an open door. That the word of truth would be able to penetrate the realm of society. Pray that the word of truth would be able to come into the mediums and the pillars of the world. Pray that even in this moment, and mind you, where is Paul when he is speaking this word to the church in Colossae? He is right now in the midst of prison. A man who is bound in chains himself wants the unbound word of God to abound in people's hearts even though he himself is bound up in a prison cell. Pray that the door of the word would be open. We've got people today that the minute you quote a scripture to them, they shut you down. They don't want to hear anything about that. Oh, here he comes, Bible thumping me once more time. No, pray that the word would be open to them. A door would crack wide open. Pray that when you pick up your Bible and you take it to your workplace and you plop it on the table at your lunch hour or you pick up your phone and open up your Bible app or you send a text message of the word to somebody, pray that the door of the word would be open to them that they may receive the truth that's embedded there and the revelation that God has in store for them. See, sometimes we don't know what to say, but the word has already been given and it's right there. It is life. It is life-giving. It is life-bringing. It is something that you want anything you're going through. There are promises upon promises upon promises in this book. Pray that the door of the word will be open. Paul, in the midst of prison, despite my current difficulty, despite my current situation, where I currently reside, and the limitations that have been imposed upon me. Pray that the door of the word may be open. In other words, pray that I can be able to proclaim it even more effectively. Pray that I be able to see the opportunities for it everywhere I turn. Pray that as I live my life, the door of the word would be right open and every person I encounter, I can share exactly the rhema word that is needed for the hour. Pray that the giftings of the Holy Spirit will flow in me through the word of God to release exactly what needs to be said and nothing more. Pray that the door of the word would be open as God has opened up the door to Troas. Pray that it would be open unto us. God, I pray that you would open up the door of the word right now. Right now in Wayland, Massachusetts. Stop and think about this. There are people, countless people that have nothing to do with Christianity that are watching TV shows called The Chosen, for instance. The Word of God dramatized and, and put together in, in, in a medium that people nowadays like to enjoy, which is movies and TV shows, right? Like the Word of God is being made manifest in living pictures, Pray that as men and women encounter such things, that the word of God would step into other means and other realms and other mediums and other processes. Pray that the word of God would be open and that when people encounter it and come against the scripture and they hear it, even if they hear it out of context, that it would spur inside of them a desire to go back to the original text. Find out what does it say. Pray that the word of God would be open. The door would open there. Number five, when we press in and we pray, God sends his divine aid 
The heavenly door is open. The city door opens next. As angels are ministering, divine power is given to us. As we step in and we believe in God, as he moves on the door of salvation, bringing people to faith, as people are more receptive to his word, that they are more aligned to his word, that they're more open to listening and obeying his word and following after, not tickling their ears, not just uh, worshiping creation, but worshiping the creator that's within the word. As we step into this, pray that also there is the door of prisons that are being opened. Acts chapter 12, verse 5 and 8. To go to Acts chapter 12. I want you to see this in your Bibles. Acts chapter 12, verse 5 through 8. Peter was therefore kept where? In prison. But, I love it when the Bible puts a button there. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him. Herod the Great has put Peter in prison, riding high on a, 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 a winning streak per se. He is riding high, excited that he has just killed James. And the people are ecstatic. And he has curried some favor with the Jews. That he has put James to bed. Now he wants to do the same with Peter. If people liked me and I garnered some success and some victories with them by taking care of this one meddler, let me put another one to shame. And let me kill him and I will and then garner more favor from the people. Peter was therefore kept in prison. He is sentenced to death. He is going to be put to death the next day. Peter is there, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. By who? And when Herod was about to bring him out, that night Peter was sleeping. Church. Only a person who presses in and knows the power of availing much in prayer is a person that on the night of his execution, on the day before that he's going to be put to death, can go ahead and have a sound night's sleep. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what is trying to rob you of your peace. But if you're a person that knows how to pray, you just got yourself a new sleeping aid. If you want to have a good night's rest, you press in, you travail, and you labor in prayer. And you watch your God that does the impossible bring you peace that surpasses understanding. He whose eyes are stayed upon him is kept in perfect peace. As Peter is going to be executed the next day, he is sound asleep. Because the church is praying. He is bound with two chains between two soldiers. And the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him. And a light shone in the prison. And he struck Peter on the side and raised him up saying, As the light shone, that was an angel showing up on the scene. Hey dude, wake up. Get up. You're sound asleep. It's all good. You have been praying. You've believed in me. The church has also been praying. I'm here to help you out. The heavenly door has been open. But now I'm coming through and I'm going to open up another door. As he struck Peter on the side, raised him up saying, arise quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. Somebody say amen. Come on, say amen. amen. Then the angel said to him, gird yourself and tie on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, put on your garments and follow me. Herod tried to put this man to death. He posted guards. He put them in one set of doors and another set of doors. He posted guards here and guards there. And now an angel shows up and he says, I'm not even going to have to fight no, 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 no guards. I don't have to strike any chains. I don't have to break any fetters. The angels just says, wake up, man. And everything falls off. Doors open on their own. And Peter walks right out. 
He comes off of one set of chains. He goes through one set of doors. He goes through another set of doors. And then he steps through the iron gate and he steps right out and he comes right out of that prison because God opens the prison doors when people pray. Those who pray find freedom first in their hearts and then in their circumstances. Somebody say amen. When we step into the office of prayer and we say, Lord, I will travail and I will labor and I will seek after you no matter what I see before me, God. They find peace first and foremost right here. Then they see that peace manifest in front of them in their circumstance. If that's what you need, I want you to just say, Lord, let it be mine. Lord, open up my prison doors. See, that's what God did again and again. He did it with Hannah. He gave her peace first in her heart, then in her circumstance. Again and again she prayed. Again and again she cried out to God. Again and again she was pestered by her rival that she did not have a child. And she yearned to find peace of God in the joys of bearing a child. She cried out to God. So she shows up year after year at the temple as the family's going to pray. As Elkanah is there, and the other people are there, the whole family goes to worship God in the temple. And again and again, she is without a child. She is praying so much and prevailing in prayer to the point that she doesn't even have words. And the prophet Eli looks at her and says, Woman, are you drunk? She is earnestly travailing, availing, pressing in, agonizing, clinging, holding on, pressing into the presence of God until she has what she needs. And God says through the prophet, oh, you're not drunk, okay. After she clears that up, okay, go in peace. May the Lord grant you what you've called out to him. And in that moment, it says that she put a smile on her face. She washed her face. She went rejoicing. Even though she had come in in agony, she went out rejoicing. In that very moment, let me ask you, did she have a child? Absolutely not. In that moment, nothing changed. Yet everything in that moment changed. Somebody say amen. In that moment, everything changed. Why? Because first, those who pray experience the change in their hearts. Then they experience it in the natural, physical world. I want God to press in and change Everything that has been stolen, the enemy has robbed us from. Everything that the enemy has said, it is not possible. It will not be, it will not be your inheritance. It will not be your portion. I want God to press in and change all of that by his power and his grace. As we agonize and pray, let us hold on to that and lay hold of it in our spirit before we see it in the natural. If that is your desire, say, God, do it with me. Peter slept, the church prayed, and peace came. Acts 16, verse 25 through 26. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And what happened there? Prison doors were opened. A mighty rumbling came in that prison. And they came out. And all the prisoners came out. They were praying and praising God. Not even asking him to open up the prison doors. But they were praying and God said, I'm going to release this. Why? Because your prayers will open up prison doors. Church, we need to wake up and start praying that God would open up the doors to those who are captive and in bondage. There are men and women in our families, in our circles of influence that are bound up by addictions and gambling and weed and alcohol and, and pornography and whatever sin you want to put in that place. They are bound and they can't get out of it. We have been bound by an enemy that wants to keep us locked up and confined. Yet by prayer, we can release the captives and set them free. God opens up those doors. How many times has he done it in this very place? How many of you can testify that I used to be bound by drugs? I used to be bound up by weed and marijuana. I used to be bound up by this attitude and that attitude. I used to be bound up chasing women and chasing, you know, the opposite sex. I used to be bound up doing this and that. And yet God stepped in and he took me out of my prison. And he set me free and set me on a solid rock. That is the God that we serve. If we would press in and pray and ask God to do it, he shall fulfill that. Not by my power or mine but by his incredible grace as we travail. Some of us want God to move, but we don't want to get on our knees and pray and see that he would do it so. 
We give people every kind of strategy. Hey, read this book. Hey, read that book. Hey, go to this seminar. Hey, go to that seminar. Hey, go chase this service. And that's, our, and that's all good. It's all important. We need to be edified. It says that faith comes by hearing the word and the word by the, the word of God. We need to hear this book. So if it's preached to us, if it's taught to us, if it's on a movie, it's in, if it's in like a song, if it's in a worship set, whatever it is, that's good. But we need to get on our knees because there's no amount of work, that no, no amount of results that we're going to receive that we need, that we desire if we do not pay the price in agonizing in prayer. We are not going to see it so. How is it that I can help a drug addict get out of the bondage of his addiction? I can tell him all the facts and statistics. I can teach him all the, you know, all the medical science information about what drugs is doing to his body. But unless if God gets a hold of him and takes him out of that prison that he has so been stuck in, it tells us in the Psalms that he took me out of the miry clay and he set my feet upon a solid rock. It is by his grace. Church, we need to pray because there's no amount of intellect. There's no amount of intelligence. There's no amount of accolades and resources. You can throw money and you can throw rehab and you can throw all sorts of different things to people. But unless if they have something shift in their spirit, there will not be a change. Prayer opens prison doors. Yes, Paul could have been praying for justice and for release from prison and freedom so that their ministry could go on and the, the door of the word would be open and they would be able to preach and salvation would come and incredible you know, powers, would, would um, uh, manifestations of God would be witnessed in their ministry. That is all good, but they are praying and praising God. And as they do so, connecting with the character of God, God who is free and boundless, who is matchless in wonder, presses in and changes the hearts of not just Paul, but God operates on that entire jail. See, if we press in and we start praying to God that he would release the captives and set those in bondage free, God will go beyond our desire and he will change things beyond what we are praying for because God is a God of abundance and he sees more than we can see. He wants to accomplish more than we can accomplish. And so every single chain was loosened. That's why when Jesus prayed, he prayed for Lazarus to come out, come out of the bondage of death. And decay. He had to be very specific. And he said, hey, Lazarus, come forth. Because if Jesus just said, come forth, every single cell, every single fiber, every single atom of every dead person in that side of those tombs would have come out of those graves. And there would have been a mighty revival in that city because no dead person would have remained. God wants to do something beyond what we think possible. The prayers of a righteous person avail much. Somebody say much. Number six, as we pray, the door of boldness is open. Go to Ephesians chapter six. Ephesians chapter six. Look at what Paul says. Ephesians six, verse 18. That's in the New Testament. Some of you guys are looking for it. It's in the New Testament. God eats potato chips. That's a mnemonic device you can remember. God, Galatians, eats Ephesians, potato, Philippians, okay, chips, Colossians. There you go. I'll help you out. Verse 18. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And pray for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly, say boldly, to make known the mysteries of the gospel. Paul wants people to know that prayer is foundational to the development, to the deployment to the utilization of all other spiritual weapons, all of the giftings of God. It is therefore crucial for us to stand in the place of prayer as we battle spiritual struggles. It is critical that we are in the cauldron of prayer, in the furnace of prayer, that we would 
lay hold of the weapons that are before us. He has already shown his concern to them by praying for them, that they might, you know, grow and see the greatness of God's power. Yes, and now he's asking them, guys, I want you to strengthen me also. I want that the dimension of God's love would abound in us, that the power of God's word would come out in power into people, that the city would be ready and receptive, that God would send out his power and salvations would reign, that he would send divine angels and heavenly aid, all of these great things. He wants all of that stuff, but the apostle now wants them to understand that if we are not dependent upon God in prayer, that we will not have the boldness to say and do that which we have to do. Why is it that in the book of Acts, the Sanhedrin, the scribes, the Pharisees are absolutely blown away. Go to Acts chapter 4. They're blown away at the apostles. Peter and John especially. These guys are fishers. Fishermen. They're, they're not learned. They're not trained. They're unlettered. These are men and women who are following after Jesus, who has not gone, have not gone through the schools of the rabbinic traditions, they have not sat under the important teachers of the day and, and, and the accolades and, and the universities and the accredited institutions of their day. These are not men that have cracked open the scrolls and, and, and poured over it hours upon hours upon hours, months upon months, years upon years to learn the scriptures, to know how to parse it and divide it and, and speak it and give it. Yet, go to Acts chapter 4, verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter, the boldness of John, and perceived that they were uneducated, untrained men. They marveled, say marveled, that they realized that they had been with Jesus. Come on now. They had been with Jesus, who he himself was not a learned man. He himself was a carpenter's son who was there doing his work and following after his father's trade, who was learning from his father Joseph. But yet Jesus spoke as one with boldness and authority. So look at Acts chapter 4, jump down to verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke the word of God with what? Boldness. As they prayed, they were filled with the Spirit and filled with boldness. Say the door of boldness. If we are going to experience God and move for him and be in the presence of men by which they will say, what is it that you have? How do you speak with such authority? How is it that you have such dominance on this subject? How is it that you believe with such incredible faith? How is it that you have divine aid coming at your dispense? How is it that you are able to fulfill and declare powerful things over the city and not be shaken or stirred and you're breaking out of prisons and your word has authority? How is it? By prayer. Got many singers, a few clingers. No man is above the station of prayer. The pastor who is not praying is playing. The people who are not praying are strained. Why? Because we show up on the scene and somebody says, hey, pray for me. My friend is sick. Pray for me. My daughter is going through drugs and my son is, has the spirit of suicide. He just tried to take his life last night. And we show up and we say, okay, um, I hope everything is all right. No, but we show up as we have prayed and we have labored and we have pressed into God. We show up and say, that foul spirit, that death and mute spirit, that spirit of suicide and death, you come out of him now in Jesus' name. My God is a God who is alive and well. There is no power, no principality. There is no spirit. There is nothing that can impede the life-giving force of God. So everything that is not of him, because this is not of him, we cancel in Jesus' name. We show up and say, yeah, I'll pray for you. And we go home and we forget. They show up and they're in the middle of a need, going through a storm, not knowing if they're going to make it, not knowing if that after they leave their encounter with you, if they will not actually go through with all the five, six, seven, ten plans that they've thought about how they're going to kill themselves. But they meet a Christian who hasn't lingered in the prayer closet, who shows up without authority and boldness. Who speaks to them and say, I hope, I hope, you, I, I hope, I hope you're going to make it. Just, just, just hang in there. Instead of saying, 
No, you come here. You're coming home with me, and something's going to shift. As you see, we're going to pray together. We're going to call a prayer vigil tonight. We're going to pray. I'm going to call a couple of men and women that I know avail much in prayer. And today, that, uh, that attitude, that spirit that's on you is going to come off of you in Jesus' name. Today, by faith. Oh, oh, I can't, I can't speak about God in the workplace? Oh, HR told me I can't say anything about Jesus? Uh, okay, well, um, uh, all right. Sorry. I, I wish you well, and, and, and may God go with you. Meanwhile, they are hopeless, hungry, pitiable, yearning to have an encounter with he who has all the answers. They don't know where to go. The church that is not praying has no boldness to look Satan in the eye and say, you have no authority here anymore. So we need to wake up, church. We need to pray. We need to cry out to God. Why? Because there are lives hanging in the balance. I sat in my office yesterday at home and I just wept and I wept as I thought about the millions and millions of people that die every single day all around the world. And how many of them are meeting their end without having encountered the grace and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Church, we cannot wait. There are going to be people whose blood shall be upon our hands if we do not press in to the prayer closet and get on our knees and say, Lord God, I know I can't do this on my own. I will not be able to speak your words of life and change a heart because who am I? I can't change hearts. I can't change minds. The only person I can change is myself. But I can press in and I can pray that you would send your heavenly aid and that your angels will come and, and that they will start tilling the soils of people's hearts. That your Holy Spirit would start moving upon lives. That as you come, that God, you will start changing the attitude in the city. That as you come in and I pray and I linger longer and longer and longer in the prayer closet, that God, you are giving me the city. That Lord God, where I step, as you said, that you shall give me the territories where my feet treads. Oh God, I pray that you would make a move and a shift in our city. That God, as I pray here, that there's men and women who are becoming open to salvation and the word of God. It's coming alive inside of their heart. That word that was buried within their hearts years ago. That scripture that was trained up in them when they were a child. That Lord, your word is actually true and it comes to pass that you are watching over it to bring it to fruition. That God, you're bursting it out now. That you're breaking them out of their prison doors. And that you're releasing them, Lord Jesus, from their bondage. That, God, you are causing something to shift. And, Lord, I am ready when the moment shows up because I am filled with boldness. I have this fire that's shut up in my bones that I cannot contain. How dare I meet a person that is in need and I can't give them a cup of cold water or I can't give them some food. Oh, Jesus, stir us. Somebody say, God, stir us. Give us boldness. Give us authority. Because this is not the hour to play around. The rich man say, Lord, please allow Lazarus to just dip his finger in the water. Just dip it in the water and give me something to quench my, my pain and my thirst. While he cried out in the gates of hell. Please send somebody to my brothers so that they will not come to this place of anguish and torment that I'm in right now. The word says they already have the prophets. They already have every single word and they choose not to receive it. If I send a very angel, if they did not receive my word, they won't receive an angel coming with the message. God, when I meet a man and a woman that is hungry, which is truly a trick question or idea because every person has a God-shaped hole inside of them and they are hungry for God. Every person has a deep need. Every person is a person that we need to encounter with the powerful message of God's grace and gospel, of what he has done and what he has purchased and what he has accomplished for us. Every single person is in need of what we have. God, give us boldness. 
That word translated boldness and courage was basically the word that is used for freedom of speech. Those who are empowered by the Holy Spirit, such courage, such remarkable courage that was edified and exemplified in Peter and John was there. And it was regarded because they were unschooled, unlettered. They were unskilled. These guys had no tradition or training. They were able to do it, though, by the power of the door that was open in prayer, the door of boldness. God, help us. Help us. Let me give you one more. I'll invite the team to come on out. But before I do that, there was a man by the name of David Robertson. David Robertson used to do ministry, and he did it unsuccessfully for a while. He got to the point that he got so fed up, and he said, Lord, I need some more boldness, and I need some more authority. I want your anointing. So he decided that he was going to quit his job. And then he went and he con um, connected with the local church and he said, can I rent out your space? You're not using certain space in your building. Can I rent it out so that I can uh, press into prayer? They said, fine, you can take it. We're not using it. You can go take it. What do you want to do with it? I just want to go pray. How long will you pray? I'll pray for, you know, if, if, I, if I can figure that, you know, I, I work and I work about eight hours a day. Why, why don't I do this? I quit my job, so I'm going to go and I'm going to pray for eight hours. I'm going to come into the, to, the, to the basement of the church, and I'm going to go there, and I'm going to pray. And so he started. He went, and he began praying. The first day was tough, and he's praying there. He's going, and after a while, he ran out of things to pray. So he's like, you know what? God has given me this divine heavenly language that I can pray in the Holy Spirit, so I'm going to start praying. So he did that, and he realized he could pray a lot longer as he prayed in tongues. So he started praying. And he started going. And he started going, 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 going. And he's praying. And the, the receptionist of the church, she would come by every once in a while hearing him pray. And he's going one hour, two hours, three hours. So by lunchtime, she had her break. She went to him and says, hey, so what, what's God showing you? He's like, uh, I don't know yet. How are you feeling? Uh, my knees hurt. How, how's, how's, your, how's your mouth? Oh, yeah, I got a sore mouth, sore tongue. My throat is hurting. My vocal cords are strained. How does it feel? It feels hard. But he kept going. Came back the next day. Did the same thing. Just kept praying. He kept going and going and going and going. And every single day, they would see him there in the church, eight hours a day, punching in, punching out, praying. Well, it came to be that they were going to have a special meeting after a couple of months, four months of this, every single day, eight hours. He's like, I didn't feel anything different. Nothing happened, but he just kept praying and praying. Well, they were going to have a meeting a special speaker was coming, a man that was well known in the denomination that the church was a part of. And they said to him, I'm sorry, but you know what? We've been giving you this uh, space rent free. And so um, today we want you to come and, and be part of this. All right. This will be your payment. You come and be part of the meeting that we're going to have with this very renowned preacher. He's going to come and teach us on X, Y, Z topic. And so he's like, sure, I'll come up and fill the rows. Be one more person to attend the meeting. Showed up. They asked him, do you want a cup of coffee? He's like, oh, yeah, sure. I'll take a cup of coffee. Kind of meeting that had coffee and crumpets and whatever. So he takes it and he sits down. And next to him is a lady that came in in a wheelchair. He's sitting next to her. And then the man of God who had been called for, for such a special meeting comes and he starts preaching. And he's spewing out all these fancy words. Dear brethren of God, we've got our understanding from these divine scriptures that's going to be, and he starts going off in this monotone, fancy, flowerful language. And Dave says, I just, I couldn't do it. 
I had been spending eight hours a day in prayer with my God, filling up and, and getting poured into and praising Him and pouring out my heart to Him and, and filling the depths of His love within me as I prayed. Now here I am listening to this man and I'm getting tireder by the moment. So I decided I'm just going to start praying to Him in my spirit. And I, he started to do that. Just quietly within his own mind, he started praying. And as he's doing that, all of a sudden he sees like an x-ray show up in front of his eyes. And he doesn't understand what he's seeing, but it's like exactly an x-ray of a hip socket. And he looks over to his left and he looks at the woman. And the x-ray is like superimposed upon her. He looks at her and says, ma'am, is your hips out of joint? And she starts saying, well, yes, I've had this problem since blah, 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 year, and, and this is what's going on. And he says, ma'am, can I pray for you? And before she answered him, he just jumped up, and he put his hands upon her feet, and he started speaking to her and praying out loud, and he started going off in tongues. All of a sudden, the man of God who's preaching the word tells one of his cronies and lackeys, go over there and stop this ruckus that's going on in the back over there. Tell him to stop. And all of a sudden, the woman jumps up, and her feet start shooting out, and it gets realigned, and he jumps up, and she starts praising the Lord, and she says, I've been healed. And she starts screaming out in the midst of that meeting, and he's just going, Lord, what is this? All he could see is an x-ray. But yeah, he didn't get that in that moment. He got that four months praying and speaking and travailing and asking God for boldness. And in that moment, when God put that image in front of him, he stood up in the midst of that meeting. And he says, I will not be denied and I will do the work of the kingdom because this is a woman that needs God. And so the woman starts shouting out, what he did for me, he'll do for all of you. Come over here. And he took over that meeting. The man who had been called to preach sat down. Everybody came to him for prayer. God started using him in a powerful way. He that prays avails much. God, we need you to come and bring salvation. Somebody say amen. God, we need you to come and bring healing. Somebody say amen. We need you to open prison doors. Amen. We need you, God, to give us boldness. I'm way over my time. Here's the last one. The door of speed. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified just as it is with you. We've got to pray, church, that what used to take a long time will be done like that. The gospel needs to run freely. That means unhindered, without obstacle, without opposition, without blockades, without us putting stipulations and issues in front of it. That means that we need to pray that God would have an open access to hearts and minds, that the Holy Spirit would not be grieved and quenched at every space. How do we have the gospel go powerfully, swiftly, and run by prayer? How is it that this gospel was able to abound in the New Testament church where 3,000 were gained in one day, 5,000 in the next? That is what God wants to do in the church. Not, hey, this year we had three salvations. That the gospel would be open. The door would be wide. That it would be swift. Now is the hour and the moment. We need more and more of God. We need his word to go out in power upon the earth. There are speeds to the spiritual realm. And some of us are operating in the low speed. Some of us feel like we're keeping up, but we're stopped altogether. If you go to Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31, it says this, But those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. 
Those who wait upon the Lord in prayer, those who are pressing in and availing much, those who are laboring shall renew their strength. They shall mount up like eagles. That's speed number one. There's people in the spiritual realm that you're flying high. You are flying. You are flying. Then there are those, like it says here, that they shall run and not be weary. And they shall walk and not faint. You are either flying, you're running, you're walking, and unfortunately some of us are stopping. Those who wait upon the Lord shall mount up like wings, like eagles. Hey, John, on the island of Patmos, come up here. Let me show you the revelation. He's flying. Hey, Philip, you're in the midst of a revival in Samaria, Acts chapter 8. I'm going to take you to the other spot, another region altogether. In an instant, he is transported. He is flying in the spirit, transported to the Ethiopian eunuch. There are those who are flying in the spirit. There are those who are running with God, pressing on on the race. And then there are those who are walking. Lord, I may not be running so fast, but I'm going. I'm tracking. I'm coming with you, God. I'm still moving forward one day at a time. There are speeds. God wants us all to be at the topmost speed, flying, getting this gospel out there around the world. More and more people to know him and encounter him today.